You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. It's amazing what we're looking for sometime as consumers. It's like we're trying to add in Jesus into the rest of our lives that we've already got set up. And that's what we're going to find out today. Uh, These three would-be disciples in our text today are trying to add Jesus into what's already going on and and have him kind of fit into everything. And I think that's what's happening in here. Somehow we think Christianity is about addition, when at least at first, I think it's about subtraction. We're going to get to that point. Let's pray. Okay, Lord God, thank you so much for this day and for humor and for uh, just laughing at ourselves and others and how foolish we can be when we come up to you. We pray, Lord, today that you open up our hearts and our lives and that we really know what it means to follow you fully and to live for you. Um, As you, Lord Jesus, followed all the way to the cross, we're just amazed at that. We are amazed at you this day. We pray, Lord, in these weeks ahead of Easter, as we're approaching that day, that we follow along with you all the way, that you give us opportunities during the week to witness for you, to glorify you, to show your your goodness to others, to serve others effectively and uh, fruitfully in their lives. We pray, Lord, as well, that you would bless all the gospel churches in this area, every one of them. There's only one Christian church, one that you set up on this earth in various expressions, and we just pray that this day you would create a movement in southwest Florida and from us throughout this whole world, Lord, um, that you are the center and you are the reason and you are the all in all for all of us. And it starts showing more and more in our lives. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this last week, Guy Lombardo shared with me a... um, a blog by Kerry Newhoff. I hope I got his name right, okay? It's got so many vowels in it, I do not know how to say it. But Kerry Newhoff, um, and he started a church called Connexus. That sounds like another one of those churches that would be fun to go to, right? But what he said, he found that actually there are seven trends he sees happening in 2017 and in the future. And we're not going to go through all seven. We're just going to go through his first point. And this is what he said. Consumer Christianity will die faster than ever. Over the last 100 years, North American Christianity somehow fused with consumerism to the point where we wrongly define discipleship as what we can get from God or from a church. That's because at its heart, consumer Christianity asks, what's in it for me? That view of Christianity is simply backwards. Christian maturity isn't marked by how much we know or what we can get. It's marked by how much we love and how much we give in light of how deeply we've been loved and how much we've been given. All of this is antithetical to the gospel, which calls us to die to ourselves, to lose ourselves for the sake of Christ. Our faith calls us to live for Christ and to love and reach the world for which he died. As the church reformats and repents, a more authentic, more selfless church will emerge. When you're no longer focused on yourself and your viewpoint, a new tone emerges. If your church is still defined by what you offer members to satisfy them and isn't defined by how you love each other and the world around you, the clock is ticking faster than ever. That last paragraph especially, that's what I really hope for our church here. You know, we're not the latest, greatest, best, maybe we've got a great name, I don't know, you know, but the point is that what we want to offer 
is how much we love one another and love this world and serve this world. How much we are reflecting the life of Jesus to this world because this world needs Jesus more than ever, right? Everywhere, anytime I turn on the news, anytime I look at anything, it's like, oh boy, Jesus, we need you now, okay? So let's read a couple of passages. We're gonna be looking at Luke chapter nine, verses 23 to 25, and then 57 to 62. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we're in week four of the genius of Jesus. And you might hear these passages and go, I don't know if he's being genius now because he is being radical, a radical call. And he is being challenging to all of us, every one of us in this room, myself included. And it's like, whoa, this is a little, I think it is genius. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see that, I think, in three points that we learn from this passage. What happens um, in this passage, and by the way, I love the word radical. It's actually from the Latin word radix, which is where we get the word radish from. Did you know that? I don't necessarily like radish, but it's about a root. It's the fact that Jesus is radical, that he gets to the root. He gets to the central core, the, the thing that makes it possible for anything to grow. He says, this is what it's all about. And so we want to get to that, cut out all the clutter, all the stuff that really doesn't matter, that's peripheral, and get to the root of the issue today. And he does that in this passage very well. And I think we're going to learn three things from Luke chapter 9. And that is simply three words, losing, gaining, and then living, okay? First of all, losing. And this is probably counterintuitive, paradoxical, not what you expect. But discipleship, following Jesus, starts with losing. It starts with losing. I know, we don't like to lose. Oh, I hate losing anything. And I hate losing stuff that I think is really good. And what we see in the last section of the, uh, of the reading that we had of 57 through 62, that three wannabe disciples, two of them come up to Jesus, the first and the last. The second one's called by Jesus. All three of them seem to just want to add Jesus into their life, you know? Adam on top. Now, the first one seems the most hopeful of all of them because he says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Big promise, right? Big promise. Yeah. Does he realize where Jesus is going? Hmm? That's the question. 
In Luke 5, uh, 9, 51, just before this instance, it says that when the days were drawing near for him to be taken up, and that Greek word there for taken up is really exodus, deliverance. When he's going to meet a deliverance, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He is set. So, Lord, I will go wherever you go. Right. Jesus responds, foxes have holes, birds in the air have nests. I don't have a place to lay your head. Do you really want to follow me? Because all you get is me. You may not get a place to live. You might not get a nice place to sleep. I think this first disciple is, we could, I, I, I would call him an idealist. He is committed to commitment. He is committed to compassion. He's committed to a cause. And he sees Jesus is going to be his way to get that cause. Right? He is more committed to himself and the fact that, wow, Lord, I could go wherever you go. But just give it a few days when Jesus is saying, okay, we're camped here. Um, It's time to go to bed. (laughs) And a few sleepless nights on the ground. And I'm wondering if this person would still say, yeah, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. So, there's a lot of potential idealism in Christianity. And people go, wow, that's great. That's a cause. That's this. That's that. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's really me. I'm offering you me. There's not much else. When it gets down to it. Why be a Christian? I'm not going to tell you that it actually makes your life better. I'm not going to tell you that you will have more whatever, you know, all these positive attributes in your life. You'll reduce your stress or whatever. You get Jesus. That's it. And with Jesus is enough. Now, the second and third disciples... They seem to have family engagements, right? The second one says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father, then I will come and follow you. And it seems like Jesus is being very mean, right? He says, let the dead bury their own dead. Well, I don't know if he had that tone, but it sounds like he's being mean. What? You won't even let, your, let him go to his father's funeral? Uh, hold on a moment, okay? Just hold on one moment on that. A Middle Eastern commentator said this, let me go and bury means let me go and serve my father while he is alive and after he dies, I will bury him and come. Ah, Now it starts to make a little more sense. You see, if the father had already died, he wouldn't be on the road. He'd be mourning and he'd be preparing his father for burial. His father is not dying. He's not dead. He's still alive. And he's just saying, hey, I'm following my father. You know, in the Middle East, at the time of Jesus, the father's rule in the household is supreme above all, period. And that's why that third disciple who says, oh, let me say farewell to my family and then come and follow. uh, It's kind of like he knows already Because he knows, he goes home and says, hey, there's this rabbi that's heading towards Jerusalem right now. Um, His father's going to say, no way. You are not blessed to go. And then he can shed his crocodile tears and say, oh, I really wanted to follow, but I just can't because my father won't let me. It's all built in. A nice little excuse. 
So what is Jesus really saying here? He knows that if anything else is first, he might as well be last. That if anything else is first, and that's what they've said. Did you see that? It's the yes, but. Yes, but. And you know how that works, don't you? Oh, yes, I agree with you, but. Just forget about everything else before the but and everything after is what that really wants to be said. Oh, yes, I really want to do that, but they don't want to do it. And Jesus kind of knows that if anything else comes first, then he might as well be last. If anything else is, yeah, I want to, but then you really have not understood who you are dealing with, who has called you to follow, who you are promising anything to, who you are interacting with. And that's the biggest issue. Let me put it this way. Consider this. Do you realize the distance between the earth and the sun? It's 93 million miles or 150 kilometers. A little far, right? If that distance was... The thickness of one sheet of paper, okay? If you said, okay, we're going to make a legend here. The thickness of one sheet of paper is a distance between the earth and the sun. Then the distance across the Milky Way galaxy, the diameter of just this, the Milky Way galaxy, would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And consider the Milky Way galaxy is not the largest galaxy in this universe, and it's one of potentially billions of galaxies. And the creator of everything comes in human form and looks at you and says, follow me. And you want to make him your personal assistant. Ah, yes, but... You know, you got to add in to what I'm already doing. I'm already about. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Hey, could I have a few pointers? You haven't understood who you're dealing with. And who has just given you the opportunity? Who wants you? Who has come to you? Who loves you? Who planned for you? Who decided to come to you and come in a way that you could understand, that you could relate to? He comes to you and says, follow me. I'm yours. Wow. So, from our perspective, though, discipleship starts with losing, letting go. But discipleship continues with gaining. Now, this too is counterintuitive because Jesus in then Mark 9, 23 to 25 says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will gain it or save it. And you're going like, well, what, what is this? What is this? What, what is Jesus trying to say? Is this kind of like one of those Zen kind of cones that, you know, what is the sound of one hand clapping? And you're just supposed to think it's a riddle that you can't answer and then you realize the absurdity of life. No. And is, is he actually saying, I need to lose my life physically? And is this a call to martyrdom? And then I'm going to gain something? No. To both of those. It is paradoxical, but it is not a riddle. 
And it is not a call to lose your physical life. In fact, if Jesus said, yeah, he could have said that, but he didn't. He said, the word life, he said in Greek, was not bios. Bios or bios is where we get biology. That would be your physical life. But he used the term suke or psyche or psyche for your existential or personal or identity life, or your ego life, who you are, that you lose that. Now, you might be going like, what does that all mean? Okay? What does that all mean? He's saying your whole way of figuring out who you are, gaining a sense of self, let go of it, follow me, and I will give it to you. Jesus is genius. You see, Timothy Keller says, Jesus is so genius here because he's not like an Easterner or a Westerner. And I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about the world philosophy. An Eastern Buddhist philosophy would say, in order to really gain in this world, if you want to call it gain, you lose your entire identity, your entire self, and you come into a state of realizing you're just a part of the all, that there is no being here to really hold on to or have anything of. And you get into a state called of non-being, of non-personality or identity, and then you enter finally that state called nirvana when you lose all sense of self. Because this world is a struggling place and it's filled with suffering and it's filled with suffering because you're trying to grab on and hold on and want. And if you let go of all that and let go of even being a self, then you can get there. Jesus is not saying that. But he is not a Westerner who says, hey, you want to find yourself? Well, you know what you do? You look inside and you figure out what your deepest desires are. And you go out and you get those fulfilled. And when you figure out what you really want, what you really, really want in life and get it, well, then you've got a life, you know? You know, that I think is what was going on in that house hunters or church hunters video. It's what I'm looking for, what I want in my life, what I want in a church, what I want in a spouse, what I want in my career, what I want in my vacations. And if I get that, then all of a sudden I have a life and I feel full and complete and I've got my desires met. Well, here's a problem with that. It's very problematic. I don't know if you figured this out yet. Maybe, maybe it's just because at my age, I look at my desires and I realize they're in conflict with each other. Do you understand that? It's like, I really want this, but I want this and I want this and I want... And if I get this one, this one kind of counteracts that one. I can't get them all aligned up. And in fact, um, beyond that, what is my deepest desire? You know, how far down do I have to go to try to figure that out? I feel like human beings are like onions, not just ogres. You know? And you peel a layer off and go, that's my desire. No, peel another one, peel another one, peel another one, peel another one. You don't even have a center to go to. You don't know what it is necessarily. And the more I try to figure it out and the more I try to find it out, it's puzzling. And get this, even if, because some of my desires are not necessarily good, some of them are destructive, and beyond that, even if it's a good desire and I pursue it for 10 years, you know what can happen? I see it all the time. Don't you see it all the time? I've done it for 10 years. Eh, it's not my desire anymore. 
All of a sudden, I've taken 10 years of my life to pursue this or get this or have that or, and then find out, yeah, I guess that's not what I want. Wow. Thomas Merton, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was a Roman Catholic uh, uh, theologian, I guess, um, and monk. He said this, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. So Jesus knows this is the, the problem, the problem with trying to find yourself, seeking yourself. Many people are still trying to do that. They don't know who they are. They don't know what their identity is. And they keep trying to figure out what is the desire that really makes them who they are. And if they fulfill it and they end up not being able to, they're confused. They're just confused. And they go from one thing to the next. I understand it's very confusing. So Jesus is genius here, and he says, you'll never find yourself by trying to find yourself. Okay? You won't discover who you really are by trying to find who you really are. You give up. Instead, follow me, and you will find yourself. Receive the gift of you from me. You know, there's a lot of things in life that are actually a byproduct of something else. Happiness. You try to pursue happiness, you won't get happiness. But you do something of significance and meaning in the lives of others. You do something to serve other people significantly, and you'll find happiness. You stumble into it. That's what Jesus understands about human beings. And he basically looks at us and looks at these three individuals along the road and looks at each of us and says, you want yourself? You were created to know me. And I, was, I created you to know me. The creator of the entire cosmos wants to call you his friend. And he comes to you as a human being who understands the roads that we walk, who walks the way, and he comes to you and says, I want you as mine, follow me. Let go of everything else, you get me. And that's our third point, that's living. That's living. You know, instead of trying to gain things by gaining stuff, let go of everything to hold on to Christ. Because you've been built, you've been created for that relationship. And Jesus would say you've been redeemed for it too. Now you might say, hey, this sounds all good, John. And you're saying about living and all of this that I first need to lose and let go of all this stuff. And then I'll gain and I get it. But the more I try to do that, the harder it is because I've, I, there's so much good stuff in my life. I mean, it's really tough. And I understand that. I totally get it. And it's kind of like, you know, John, I've tried diets. And, you know, you, you restrict yourself. And you try to say no to this. And you let go of that. And you don't, and you know. And the more I try to do that, the more I think about the food that I am not supposed to eat, and I end up can do it for a week or two, but then I lose my will. Jesus is, and is this just the spiritual version of that? So I'm supposed to focus on trying to lose myself, but the more I focus on losing myself, the more I'm focused on myself. That doesn't work. You're right. That's not what Jesus is saying here at all. He's not talking about willpower. He's not talking about spiritual discipline. 
It's an invitation to let go of that all and that whole method of trying to find yourself or trying to follow Jesus and trying to do this and just receive the gift that he is. I don't know if you realize this, but he does bring this living because here's what's going on. Do you realize in the life of Jesus, every word that he says, you know, when he says, you are the light of the world, or he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It sounds like it's just good advice directed to you to try forgive those who harm you. You know, guess what? He's the one who does those words. Every one of those words is about himself as well. He's the one who loves his enemies and prays for those who persecute him. And the one who does it right on the cross and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He is the one in this text who loses everything to gain you. He not only loses his psychic life, his identity life as the father's son on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He loses his existential life, his physical life, all of his connections. He's the one who has not just no place to lay his head for a night's nap, but he doesn't even have a tomb that he can call his own and he, And somebody has to give him a borrowed tomb when he dies. He has no friends left. He has no family left. No one stays with him to the end. And it says in this text, he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. And he says, no one puts their hands to a plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. He's not going to look back. He's looking forward. He is looking forward to that ultimate gift and that ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He is looking forward to the day that he has you through his sacrifice and death. You don't lose your life by trying to lose your life. Psychic life, CK in here. You don't. You lose your life by seeing Jesus lose his life for you. You don't try, you can't try to get yourself to love God. You understand you will respond in love to God when you realize how much and to what extent he loves you. Thomas Chalmers, a Scottish preacher, hey, um, way back in, I think, the 1800s, had this famous sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And in it, he said, seldom do any of our habits or flaws disappear by a process of extinction through reasoning or by the mere force of mental determination. Reason and willpower are not enough. Get it? You can't do it. But what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is the expulsive power of a new one. In other words, when you realize the love God has for you, then all of a sudden all those other desires and loves fade away. When you realize the call to follow and to lose because when you see what Jesus all loses for you, then it's like, I can do this. I can let go because I get him. Are you struggling with this yet? I understand. This is a daily, daily struggle for all of us, a call to follow every day. But for some of you, it might be the first time that you've ever been invited or challenged to think about Jesus' radical call. Where he really is looking at you. These texts are not about this individual or that. By the way, did you realize 
he leaves the dialogue open-ended with these three would-be disciples. He doesn't cut them off. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say what? Forget it and move on. He leaves it open-ended and we don't know how the three of them responded. It's open-ended today. This sermon is open-ended today. And it's really now your response he's looking for. He's saying, follow me. Try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But lose your life for my sake. You gain it all. You gain me. You have me. And when you have me, you have everything that you need. And with me, then you get real living and real life. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are a treasure. You're not just an idea or a concept. You are genius. You understand our human condition and how we so try to find our lives by finding ourselves and gaining. But Lord, you've lost it all. You lost it all to gain us. And we willingly right now will lose all to gain you. You're not our personal assistant. You are my Lord and my Savior. So take us all right now, all of us, all of our struggles, all our conflicting desires, all our egotism, all our hopes, all our dreams. May we lose all to gain all in you. And then having you, having a life that has a secure identity, a complete relationship with you of unending love. In your name we pray, amen.